Hello. So I'm back today with a pal called Laurie Young. And Laurie basically takes the stress out of technology for companies. And we were introduced a while back by a mutual friend. Um, he told me we had shared values and he was sure we'd get on and we did. And it's been cool. We talk about guitars and all sorts of things. So um, hello, Laurie. And how do you feel today? Uh Hi, hi. Good to be here. I'm I'm feeling very well and rather entertainingly. Uh, that's the second time I've been asked this question today, and the first time was literally while you were giving that introduction. My phone lit up with your app and said, "How do you feel today?" Because it has just turned eleven o'clock, which is when I have the the notification set to. Ah, so, and and how do you answer it then, Laurie? How how do you feel today? Um, well, if I if I use the language of of your app. I would say the second to brightest. I'm not sure how you, if you have words for the different the different colours, um, and it, it actually brings up an interesting question I've had with the app, which is, I'm assuming this is intentional. Like, there's no guidance about what's the difference between the happiest and the second happiest. That's that's entirely kind of down to me and subjective, and I find that really interesting, really fascinating. And I've realised I don't think I've clicked on the happiest one a single time since I've used it. I've certainly never clicked on the unhappiest one. I've had a few tough days. Uh, I've been using it about three weeks now. And I am i think I'm generally more moderated than, than maybe the app is expecting. I don't, I'm getting self-reflective in the first, first minute here. Um, I'm giving a really long in detailed answer, but yes, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I'm awake. I've had my coffee, which is always good. I have a, a large, a large cup of tea because if I'm going to be talking, my voice is going to get, get a bit hoarse if I don't have some tea. And it's a really nice sunny day. Um, so I'm looking forward to going for hopefully a run later. Hopefully it won't get too hot um, too early because it's going to be, I think, 32 degrees today, which is pretty good for a September. Well, you hit the nail on the head with the app. Um, I've only ever hit the top one once <laughs> ever. And that was because um, a friend who had had cancer was getting over it. We went for a swim. We had a beer. It was his first beer for nearly a year. And then as we were drinking that beer, he said, oh, it's my birthday today as well. And I didn't know. And it just made my day. But I always think there's sort of more where you can go, top and bottom. But I also think that we've all got a completely different range from top to bottom. And that could be quite condensed. Mm -hmm. or it can be quite sort of um, separate. You know, it could be a much bigger range for some people than others. So you're dead right. I think it's for each person to define their own. But after a couple of, well, I've been doing this for probably three or four years now, if you include the calendar, what I've realized is that I think I have been at that top a few times in the past as well. So I'm now starting to recalibrate as I understand myself better. And I think that's fine as well. So your range can fluctuate maybe as mm. you become more self-aware. So that's how I view it, really. Um but yeah, I, I'm very similar to you, in fact. The the interesting thing, though, is why you chose the morning. I tended to do it in the evening because I would reflect on the whole day. And there's no right or wrong either. I didn't give it a huge amount of thought. Um, I decided to go for 11 o'clock because I know that when I first wake up, when I first get out of bed, I'm often not fully awake and that I can feel a bit grumpy. Um, and I'm normally awake and like fully awake and functional by 11 o'clock. And I guess I was thinking it inspires it 
it means that I'm thinking a bit about how I am rather than how my day was. And Excellent. I hadn't actually thought about that in detail till you asked the question. No, and that's another nice thing, really, is that it's not it's for each person to do what comes naturally, I think. But then some people have swapped after I've said that to give that a try and see if that was more useful. So I don't, again, there's no right or wrong. I think it's all about becoming self-aware through the process of doing it over time. Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm, I will almost certainly give that a go and see see what difference it makes. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in like what what it means to be self-aware. And I had a, a long conversation over breakfast this morning about to what extent are we all actually aware of what our desires and motivations are? Um, like we all have a story in our head. Oh, I think I want this. I you know it says I want this. I want this. And to what extent is that is that true? Versus just like a rationalization that our brain continually provides us in a desire to be helpful, but maybe not always totally helpful. And so, like if we go down that introspection route, I think we're going to find a very deep rabbit hole. I agree. And I, I've been trying to understand that for years now and finally getting to a point where I've got an inkling. <laughs> I can't say I understand it completely, but I've got an inkling. Mm. And actually, it is all about, I think, coming back to that thing of the present moment. I read this great analogy this this week about um, if you're in fog. So think of you know your desires and life and all this stuff being the fog around you. And you're trying to make some sort of sense of it, but you've got this torch in your hand. Mm. And the torch is um, making it clear, and that's your next step. So even though you might be thinking about the future and planning and things like that, a lot of these desires take you outside of that present moment and the next step, and you're kind of making these step incrementally, but not consciously. So I've started to try and go the other way, you know, to to make conscious steps in the moment and to appreciate Mm. them, even though they might be a sort of, bigger desire but trying to sort of keep that a bit more at arm's length that's interesting i've not i've not thought of it in quite those terms so you're more like thinking like what's what's right for me in the next like one day five minutes whichever time span rather than at some point in the future i want to be doing this thing how do i get there yeah that's a loose that's a much looser defined thing Mm. and what i'm finding more and more is that those individual steps influence that and feed back to those influ- those individual steps. So therefore you're not so transfixed on the future and you're not using the present as a means to that end. Yeah. That's, I was listening to a, a podcast the other day that was uh, an exploration of ambition. And it was really interesting because it was talking about the fact that some people see ambition as like this really good thing. And some people see it as this really horrifying thing because it just saps all of the joy of day-to-day life because they're so fixated on, I think I need to achieve X. Um, in in this case, it was to the the podcast host was talking about his desire to be a storyteller, and is he'd spent ten years with this belief that that was the only thing that mattered for his happiness, and that if he achieved that, everything would be perfect, which is the positive side. But the flip side is that comes with the belief that if you don't achieve it, nothing will go right. And that's a, a fairly traumatic belief to to hold, and it was an exploration of that. Yeah, and I think it's true about everything, not just necessarily ambition, because that ambition could be about just fixing something, or it, it's not necessarily always about achieving some goal, is it? Some positive goal. It could be, I will, for instance, I will be happier when my leg is fixed. Mm. But what if my leg doesn't get fixed? 
you know, I shouldn't make my happiness, well, that's exactly what you've just said, contingent on that one thing. And also, I think sometimes you get to that point and you think, right, I'm here now. Ah, right. What's next? (laughs) And there's there's so much you can go into here. Like there's different theories of what happiness is, I guess. Is it to do with day-to-day experiences or is it total well-being? I don't know if you know there's a there's a result in I think it's psychology, which differentiates between the the experiencing mind and the remembering mind. Where if you ask people, how happy are you right this second, you get a very different answer to if you ask the question, how happy are you with your life? Um like that we just have different perceptions of, of what happiness is and we think happiness is this fairly simple, easy to understand topic until you start actually asking the question, hang on, what what does what do we actually mean when we use the word happiness? Yeah. And then it becomes a another huge rabbit hole. It does. And I'm trying to have many less rabbit holes in my life. <laughs> and that's the, part of my my challenge, I guess, is that I actually really quite enjoy the rabbit holes. Right. So before long, like I'll go and you know, spend a lot of time reading um and researching about what people do think happiness is, what's what's the established you know, research-based theories, what are some of the fringe theories that maybe don't have so much research but might be interesting nonetheless. And then I have to like, hang on, no, no, I've actually got, got some work to do. I need to, need to get on with my focusing on my work. And do, have you reached any sort of um, conclusions or anything you could pass on from that? That's another good question. Nothing that I think is like fundamentally essential um from the research but the experience like the research is fun if you enjoy the research like if you go into it thinking you're going to find the answer somewhere then that's probably not going to get you anywhere and if you get too obsessed with whatever the rabbit hole the same as if you get obsessed with anything it can distract from everything else yeah how many rabbit holes have you got uh happening at the same time at the moment then oh far too many far too many um my, my the main one I'm focusing on at the moment, which is a work thing, is I'm putting together some uh, some video content to kind of explain some of what I do and try and try and share it and get the word out a bit. So I'm getting quite deep into video editing techniques, um, how to actually do a good quality video. And I one of my I guess you can call it an obsession is I like to do things to a high standard. So I tend to go down the okay, I could just film something but I feel the need to come across as professional. So I need to get the lighting right and make sure the room is set up properly and make sure I've got the script thought through in advance. Even if I ad lib it a bit when I record it, I need to have at least know what I want to say and make sure I hit all the points when I say it. And then it becomes quite a quite an undertaking. And you find yourself, I found myself um, spending several days like preparing a script and I'm thinking like, this is okay for the, if I, for the first few videos I do, but if I want to do this regularly, I can't spend that much time on it. So I then get into, okay, what can I, how can I make this process more efficient without sacrificing the quality? What's the bits where it's taking time because I'm learning? What's the bit where it's taking time because it's actually difficult and it's always going to be difficult and it's always going to take time? And then how can I find ways of doing something that's still high quality that doesn't take up that time? And there's, there's a whole rabbit hole there. I'm not, I'm not being uh, at all facetious when I ask you this question, Laurie, but it makes me wonder, how do you feel about been on this chat then where it is literally just a call between two pals mm. and you don't know where it's going to go and yeah how does that, it's the kind of complete opposite how does that make you feel Ooh, how do i explain emo- 
there's a whole rabbit there about how do you explain and talk about feelings, which I know is a is a is a topic you're interested in. It doesn't make me feel scared. It doesn't make me feel anxious. Um, but it does make me feel a bit like I don't know what the outcome is going to be, and that's that's interesting. That's exciting. Um, so yeah, it it feels good. Ah, oh, that's cool. It's good. I think it's great, isn't it, to be able to swim in both pools, so to speak, depending on the I context. Think- I think that the trick, and I, I get this right some of the time, but not all the time, is to appreciate the skill and time it takes to get something to a really high quality without yeah. getting hung up on it. Yes. You know, like if you if you think of movies you really enjoy, yeah, some of them will be ones with absolutely amazing production values, but some of them will be just a good a good story. Yeah, you know, maybe they've not focused so much on spending the vast amounts of money it takes to really get everything to amazing but the story is gripping and i think that's the a really important thing is like you've got to get the content good and then the production values are kind of the window dressing and you know earlier before we clicked record we were talking about this kind of holistic overview of things and i think it's that understanding isn't it of what is appropriate for any given thing you yeah. know sometimes i see absolute you know, not particularly good things, and they just produce within an inch of their life. They've had a fortune spent on them, and they're just not engaging and, you know, miss the mark entirely. And that, that's not just films. That's across the board. It reminds me very much of um, there's a guy called Chase Jarvis who is now he's a podcaster and, so, and um, kind of online name, but he started his life as a photographer, and then he started creating a company that taught people to be photographers and expanded to other forms of creativity and he did a a a youtube series where he was interviewing quite a lot of of well-known people and one of the interesting things about it was it was entirely in black and white and everyone Mm. thought well that's a really interesting creative choice it gives it a really artistic flair and at one point he says to be honest i came from a photography background i had photography lights where the colors are designed for photography which is very different from from video lights and it was just easier to do black and white because then I didn't have to worry about the fact that the lights were all slightly different colors and I didn't have to do color correction and it was a a choice that was designed actually to avoid a set of production quality effort that was just not needed and it's very much about if it's a lot of work to get everything to the production quality you want you're going to do less I completely agree and I yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to focus on the production quality rather than the quality of the content. Yeah. And make yourself another rod that isn't necessary. And I know we talked about this earlier as well, but like, you know, this podcast has come out of the idea that I've got a phone. <laughs> I don't have a studio. <laughs> and I know, you know, some lovely people and sometimes listening to chats help other people. Yeah. They Production quality is a good metaphor for a lot of things. A lot of it just gets easier with practice. So, like, um, if you hear a really highly produced podcast, the voices sound amazing. Mm. Now, a lot of that is buying the right microphone. Okay, so once you've bought the right mi- the right microphone and got it set up, it's done. You don't have to think about it again. A lot of it is knowing how to process the audio in post production. Okay. Great, that's that's a lot of work. But once you've done it, you can save it as a preset in your tool and just hit go, and then it becomes easy. And so you'll often find things get better in terms of production quality over time, not because more time is spent in them, but because of the learning about how to do it without it becoming a rod. 
Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and the complete opposite of all of that is my wife listens to an awful lot of comedy podcasts. Mm. And there's a fantastic one with, um, I'm not sure what it's called, but Dana Carvey from, you'll, you'll probably know him from Wayne's World. Yes, but he used yes. to be on Saturday I was thinking Night. like, where do I know that name from? And then as soon as they went, ah, yes. He used to be one of the writers on Saturday Night Live. And he basically interviews people who have been through Saturday Night Live. And it's excellent. But the sound quality is absolutely abysmal. And the people on there are the best people you could ever ask for as guests in that mm. world. And yet, I still don't understand how me on a phone sounds better than them. And, you know, it's because... Oh, it's just incredible that they haven't sorted that out. It's it's, it's bonkers. It's sound quality is such a such a huge topic, and like that's one of the great things about doing a recording on a phone is a phone has got a phenomenal amount of engineering already gone into it to make sure that it's really clear at the frequencies that the voice works at, and less clear at the other frequencies because that's normally the background noise. Whereas if you're recording something in a studio you've got sound systems that's designed for all sorts of different systems, all sorts of different um, sound sources. And they can be tuned to do audio very well, but they're maybe not set up that way. And there's a lot of effort into getting it set up that way. Um, It's also become a big issue in films these days where they mix everything in five speaker surround sound and they make the dialogue clear by having it come out of the the centre speaker. And then when they release it on... TVs it often gets remixed down to just two channel speakers left and right. Um, now you don't have a speaker for the vocals. Um, that mean, There's actually a huge amount of work you need to do to create space in the vocal mix so that the vocals aren't clashing with the explosions or the car sounds. And it doesn't always get thought about until the last minute, and there's often not enough budget left for it to be done to the quality that needs to be done. And so a lot of movies these days, they sound amazing in the cinema and you get them home on your TV and you're like, can't hear a word they're saying. Yeah. I, and I'd never thought about what you just said about the phone. And that's such a happy coincidence that I'm recording this on a phone. And mm. yeah, exactly what you said makes perfect sense. Um, I'm looking at that guitar on your wall, Laurie. Yes. And I know this will go out in audio, but, you know, we recorded so that I can see you and your <laughs> smiling face. Um and you were making me think of the what you said about doing things to a very high standard. And I know about the dancing. I know about the music. I know about the guitars. I know about the recording. Mm-hmm. Are there things that you do which you don't do to a very high standard, but you just sort of potter? Is there anything like that? Actually, guitar is one where I've made a conscious choice that it's purely for fun. Right. Um, so the history of of guitar is kind of interesting in this context, which is I started learning guitar during lockdown. Um, I figured out pretty early on that we were going to be in lockdown for more or less a year. Um, didn't quite turn out that way because there were gaps, but that was like my thought at the beginning. I'm like, well, I've always wanted to learn guitar. Um, that very first stage between when you pick it up for the first time and you can play a few chords is really difficult. And every time I've tried it in the past, I've just, there's been so much else going on that to actually sit down and do the, hours of trying to play those first few chords didn't happen and so i figured well i'm stuck at home I'm, i may as well do it so i bought a guitar online um i think I, many other people did as well because it's kind of hard to get hold of one but I, I managed it um and i really really loved it i fell in love with with playing music and 
I've made a very conscious choice that for me, it's a hobby. It's not something where I'm setting myself goals. It's not something where I'm like, okay, I have to do an album or whatever. It's purely for fun. And I found that personally, I love learning. So the idea that I can sit down and learn something new drives me and I have been improving and I'm quite, I'm actually very happy with the amount of progress I've made, but I never practice unless I feel like it. I never practice because I feel like I'm committed to it. And it's been a huge, joyful experience because it's not got any of that pressure. I think there's only a couple of times where I was like, I, I, I must sit down and practice. And then I check myself saying, no, that's, that's absolutely not, not the purpose of this. Um, and I joined a, a local uh, guitar teaching uh, group. There's a, a company in London called the Guitar Social that does group lessons, all based around the idea of being social. So it's not got any of this pressure on it. There's opportunities to get up on stage and perform, um, but you don't have to if you don't want to. And it's just a very low stress environment. It's been an absolute joy of life. Um, the other thing I do as a hobby is scuba diving. And there I've had to take a very different approach because like, there's potential risk involved. Like you're going underwater. We can't breathe underwater without quite a lot of equipment. Um, you need to know how the equipment works. So there I've taken like, no, this I'm going to do to a high standard because it's, it's actually important, not because of my personality, but it just is important. And so the guitar has been just purely for fun. Do you think you'll get to a point where you're sort of... Um constructing songs or anything like that i think so um i don't have any automatic inspiration for songs i like I, I want to write something i want to compose something that process sounds like a lot of fun but i don't wake up and think i need to write a song about that i need to write a song about that and um, do you jam at all do you sort of improvise yeah I, a lot of what i do is improvisation um i like trying to learn to improvise it's like learning a new language um, so that's that's a huge source of joy. And I did recently, um, I went to Iceland earlier this year and did some really nice photography um, and some drone videography. And I put together a short video and I composed all the music for that, which I was actually away on holiday when I did it. So I didn't, didn't have a guitar with me. So it's all 80s, synth, synth, 80s synthesizers. Um, but I'll try and do some similar stuff with the guitar now I'm back in London. So, so you're already playing synthesizers then prior to the guitar, is that right? Uh, no, but it's kind of the con I, the concepts are kind of similar. Like they're both the, the core musical theory is the same. It doesn't change that much. There's you, know, you have to press the keys, but you can program that on the computer. It's not for for background music. It's not particularly um, complex in terms of the performance. It's more how do I get this sound? And that's just another that's gadget it. and gizmo that I can play around with. Yeah, and you mentioned the running earlier, and I I think you might. By the time we finish this, it might be too hot for you. So maybe it is uh, an early <laughs> evening run. But how long have you been running for and what started that? Yeah, so um, I used to do a lot of competitive dancing and that you know, pushed my fitness to a very high level. And then it stopped and life caught up with me and I stopped being quite so active. And I started to notice that my fitness had really, really tanked. And so I thought, well, running's probably a good way to to try and do that. Um, so I started, I did the Couch to 5K program, which I think is, if anyone out there is um, interested in going from having, from not being a runner to being able to run 5K, I can strongly, strongly re recommend the Couch to 5K program. There's websites and apps that will guide you through it. And 
since then I've realized that after I got through that initial period of this is quite difficult, I got to, this is something that I actually find really relaxing. Um, and I've, I've had my struggles with it. I had some fitness issues where I would find that I'd get overly exhausted for in, in extreme cases up to a week after a run. And it took me a long time to work out that I was just massively overdoing it, pushing myself far too fast, getting my heart rate way too high. And so I, since then I've, I run with a, an Apple watch and I just try and keep the heart rate within the range that it's meant to be in. And I just kind of very slowly run at whatever speed my body lets me run at. And I've noticed that, that my speed is getting better over time, but I'm really trying not to focus on that as a goal. Do, do you enjoy it? Cause my wife, we both started doing the five K thing, but then, um, that was the kind of final straw for me with my bad leg, but she's carried on and she, but she doesn't like it at all, but she still does it a lot. And, um, she loves keep fit, but not running, but it's good for her. And she recognizes that at 53 and keeps doing it. Um, but she, you know, we were talking earlier about like that flashlight idea or the torch mm. and one step at a time. That's exactly how she runs. So she'll do several kilometers, but if she thinks about that, she can't, even begin so she'll just think about the next lamppost or the but does that sound familiar or do you actually enjoy it as you're doing it it's it's a mix um if i do a slow run i really enjoy it. i normally listen to a podcast or some music and i get lost in it and what i like about it is you know if i've been having a difficult project i've been working on or if um i'm working with a client and we've got to a stressful point in the project which it sometimes happens towards the end of the project. I I don't find myself able to think about that while I'm running. So it completely disconnects me from whatever cause of stress I've got. And that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a couple of, um, I, I say a race, but not, not competitively, but there's various organizations in London that will organize an official 5K and they've measured the race out. So it's, it's not 4,999 meters, it's 5,000 meters. Then you get a time thing. And I've done a couple of those. And it's really noticeable that when it's not on the route I normally run, um, my perception of am I towards the middle, towards the end disappears. And that I find quite difficult. Whereas if I'm running on the route, I know it's like, okay, I'm, I've got here, I've got here, I've got here. That, that helps. <coughs> but I also give myself permission that if I'm having a bad day, if I get to the end of the road, uh, like it's just not going to work today. I'm like, okay, I don't need to run. Um, I'll just stop. And mm-hmm. that definitely happens sometimes. Yeah. That, I've, the one thing I have started doing is going on a rowing machine. And it sounds very familiar to what you just said then, where sometimes if I'm chatting the way to somebody, mm. I only do a kilometer or something like that at a time. But you turn around and 600 meters is gone. And you think, oh, I'm nearly there. Yesterday I was on it and at 200, I was thinking, flipping heck, I'll never get to a thousand. Yeah. And I, then... find, <laughs> I, I found that with swimming in the pool. I tried doing swimming and a couple of times I'd get in the pool and I'd just swim and swim and swim and it was fine. And other times I'd get in the pool and I'd swim one length, two lengths, three lengths. And I'd be like, I'm seriously contemplating hitting my head at the far end of the pool just so I can avoid the fifth length. And it's, <laughs> it's nothing in terms of exercise compared to a 5k run to swim four lengths. Yeah. Uh, my local pool's a small pool. I think it's only 16 meters. So it's, it's, it, I've hardly it's gone strange. anywhere. Yeah. And like, for some reason, swimming for exercise just does not click for me. 
<laughs> Which is strange. I, I, well, I could say that exactly the same thing about rowing for me. I'm only doing it because it's helpful. Uh, it, you know, it's a good way to get your heart going, basically, if you can't mm. run or anything else. But um, the funny thing is then when I hit 600 or 700, you start to think, oh, I could go to 1,500 now. It's bizarre. Sometimes you pick up momentum as well and want to keep going. It's, it's really strange how your brain um, – the situation is the same each time, but your brain is telling you something different. It is. And what I find with running that's helped I've got not quite a goal, but a dream, which is around the time I started running, I started seeing uh, an old friend of mine on Facebook was posting his running routes. And he lives in New York, so his route is the lap of Central Park. And I noticed that he normally takes about one hour, three minutes, one hour, four minutes. And I'm like, that sounds like a nice thing to dream of, is to try and do a lap of Central Park in an hour. Um, which is 10k so that's um half an hour for 30k which is absolutely doable but it's not easy like my normal 5k time is about 31 minutes if i push myself i can do it in about 28 minutes to do that for double the length is going to be a lot harder so like that's something where if i continue it at a consistent pace i'll probably get there i kind of want to because then i've got an excuse to go to new york but on the other hand I don't need to go to New York. I could do a 5K here in London. There's no reason why not. But it's it's a, a a nice vision of the future that keeps me motivated and keeps me smiling, even if I never actually do it. And I've got a, a, quite a few friends in the States who are runners. Um, so I've, I've shared this with them. And they were like, yeah, if you ever come to New York to do it, we'll come to New York and run it with you. Oh, that's great, Laurie. That's, that's so nice. like, that would be a fun thing to do. So that helps me stay, stay on it. Yeah. Well... We're coming to the end of our chat now, believe it or not. I know, it's flown by. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to um, leave us with? Any any pearls of wisdom? Well, most of my time, as you, as you mentioned in the introduction, kind of, I'm, I, I work in the tech sector, so a lot of what I do with technology. And I've really like focused for, for my professional career on trying to make that stress-free. And I think that's something that I would try and say to everyone is, doesn't have to be technology, whatever you're working on. Find out what it is that's that's stressful about it and find out does it actually need to be stressful. Because what I found in technology is often it's, it's people don't get technology um, if it's not the, where their background is. And that that's a cause of stress. And actually there's normally a few simple things that can help people learn. I mean, I, I tend to work with companies, so it's a bit more, you need to coordinate it between several people. Um, but you can get just nice, huge amounts of stress relief just by these things that seem really difficult. Actually, often aren't that difficult with a, when you get into them and learn them a little bit. And that's for me, that's kind of like a theme that I see through a lot of things. Like I found it with guitar. It was it seems really complicated, but if you do it one step at a time and just learn the next thing and keep learning the next thing, it's 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 just a source of joy rather than a source of stress. It's the same with what I was talking about, like with production values. Like once you start okay, I'm going to figure out how to record a microphone and get a good microphone. Each time you do it, it's really easy. And if getting you know, the production quality or something is something that you are stressing about, then the path to stress reduction is a number of simple steps. So I think that's right. that would be my kind of takeaway and what I try to do to manage my stress is not be too hard on myself and try and just take easy steps, making things slightly better each time. Yeah, superb advice. Absolutely brilliant. And 
as ever, I need to apply a bit more of that in my own life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? I mean, I, 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 I say that and sometimes I succeed <laughs> at doing it and then other times I'm put myself under unreasonable stress. No, but seriously, that was really, really good advice and really well put. So thanks, Laurie. It's been a, it's been a treat to have a chat as ever, and it's lovely to see you again. And you, and you. Yeah, cheers. Bye. Bye.